Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. All right. This is Writing Excuses, episode 31. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we are not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we are here with the illustrious Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson's Games. Chances are, if you're involved in um, science fiction or fantasy at all, you have played one of Steve's games. Um, and if not, please start now. Yeah. Well, give <laughs> us some plugs. Tell us what you, what you would want everyone to look into. Oh, uh, well, if you like silly stuff, well, if you don't like silly stuff, why are you listening to me? <laughs> uh, if, if you like silly stuff, Munchkin is my biggie right now. Munchkin is awesome, by the way. Now, you were telling me yesterday that Munchkin Cthulhu is now your second biggest month Munchkin seller? Yes, it is. Uh, second only to the classic. Cthulhu has caught on. Mm. The one that we have exactly two copies of on this continent now is the pirate one, Munchkin Booty. And one of them is over in the gaming room in the Sheraton now being being pawed on. And that's a plug for coming to Worldcon, yes. because you get to see this kind of stuff. I, I know Arf. when I was growing up, uh, Steve Jackson Games, I was playing Car Wars and GURPS, um, which, you, um, which you published. And Oh, right, microphone to my mouth, sorry. Um, which I enjoyed quite a bit. In fact, I taped up the floor of my, um, my room, much to my mother's chagrin, to make a Car Wars track so that we could play Car Wars and, you know, all of this stuff. So Cool. Yeah, we, um, we, um, slide, those that, we couldn't get the tape off for years, so... <laughs> well, um, it means keep playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were playing. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to take the tape. Um, we're going to take this track. We've got this um, wonderful game designer, but we want to, you know, it's a writing podcast. We want to focus mostly on the concept of ad adaptation. Um, have you bought for, um, for Steve Jackson Games, have you bought in licensed any um, properties that you have then adapted into games? Several over yeah. the years, yes. Yeah, like, can you give us some examples? Well, let's see. Uh, probably the biggest property we ever did was Conan. We okay. did a GURPS Conan. Yeah. Uh, maybe well, you did a lot with GURPS, I guess. Maybe the, the most yeah. fun that we ever did was uh, the Horse Clans book, just uh -huh. because uh, Robert Adams got so very, very into working on uh -huh. it. Uh, we did GURPS Discworld, working with Terry Pratchett was a whole lot of fun. Uh -huh. He's a busy guy, but he wasn't too busy to sprinkle a little fairy dust yeah. and to talk to us and to answer questions and to mm -hmm. make, you know, Pratchett wisecracks. Yeah. Well, uh, I just, um, I'm, I'm really excited. We just signed on. I, I sold rights to my um, epic fantasy series to Crafty Games, um, okay. who does spycraft and things. And so I'm getting a little bit of this myself, getting involved in these things. Um, the first question I had for you was, um, if you were... Um, if you're going you're gonna to give advice to writers, um, it, are there things you, that you would say to writers to put into their writing that, to looking forward to future game adaptations or anything like that? Frankly, no. Yeah. Um, when, some, when a writer prostitutes themselves to make their work game-like, uh -huh. it's really, really obvious. Okay. Tell a good story, and if it's a story that should be gamed, We'll drag it out and game it. Okay, okay. That's um, you know, that's I think pretty good so, advice all around. I think I think that is. Now I'm going to follow that up and ask: as you are uh, going around looking for new 
licenses for games, what do you look for in a work that you want to adapt? Yeah. Mm, you're assuming that I go around looking for licenses for new games, and <laughs> well, I don't. Okay. Um, it, licensing for games overall is a pretty marginal business. Mm -hmm. What usually happens is I really, really love something and convince myself that this time it'll be all right uh -huh. to try to get a license. Right, um, and this is why in the convert the conversations that Steve and I Steve and I have had over and over again about you know uh, GURPS Schlock Mercenary right. or Schlock Mercenary Munchkin, we've both agreed. You know what? Those margins right now are too small. The project doesn't make sense yet yeah. for either of us. For you know, either of us, and that's a very yeah. important thing for writers to realize. I've heard this more than once um, for, for licensing properties, that mm -hmm. it's kind of a smaller market for both, and so the reason it happens is either you've got a really big property, like Star Wars or something like this, mm -hmm. that even if it shrinks down by a bunch, it's still adding a lot, or you both just love it so much that you feel like you have to. Um, so maybe we should take a different track with this. Let's say we've got people listening who want to write for Steve Jackson games. They want to write RPGs, or they want to write, um, you know, they want to do the writing for you. What advice could you give them? Well, the first thing to do would be to hit our website and look at the rather extensive set of pages that we have uh -huh. up with advice and commands for people who want okay. to write for us. All right. Um, and the more generic advice would be, if you want to write for anybody, start by hunting down their writer's guidelines. Okay, yeah, good uh, advice. Back, uh, back when I was younger and we were chasing stegosaurs around, uh, the thing to do was to write to the publisher and ask for their writing right. guidelines. Very few publishers even bother to print such a thing anymore. Uh -huh. But some publishers have that information on their website. Right. If you can't find it on their website, then either they don't want to talk to you or they're so incompetent at creating a website that you don't want to talk to them. Okay. Now, um, how much, I know you're the, you're the game designer, how much of the actual writing for like RPG modules or, or source books or GURPS have you done? Did you? Bunches. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, what, what are the challenges for writing for something like that that's going to be a collaborative story? Um, well, the biggest challenge in writing, collaboration or not, is clarity, clarity, okay. clarity. Mm -hmm. But when you do a, a game adaptation, you're right. walking a tightrope between never being in the least bit unfaithful to your source material, uh -huh. because that would be wrong, right. while at the same time being able to fill in the gaps, and there will be gaps, in a way that the writer will find acceptable, and that therefore you can hope the fans will find acceptable. Right. Because the writer is telling a story, mm -hmm. and if the writer doesn't find it worthwhile to talk about a given thing, well then fine, that's the writer, that's the story. But a game master may feel that he needs to know these things, and it's our job to either convince him that it's okay to wave his hands, uh -huh. or to give him some words and some numbers that he can plug in. Okay. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Name of the Wind, uh, the color orange, and the letter G. <laughs> All by Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> All by Patrick Rothfuss. If you use the letter G, please remember to pay me my royalties. What about game balance? What about it? <laughs> um, game balance uh, is all, well, okay, if you're talking about a board game, then fine, that's, that's part of the designer's craft, and it really doesn't matter what kind of story you're emulating. If I were designing a war game about a fictional incident, then even if it 
if it were a very nearly one-sided battle, well, the first question would be, why was this, yeah, why why was this story interesting that? to tell? Yeah. But if you have to do that, then you just set up victory conditions and you say, can one side pull a, make it a slightly less messy defeat? Can the other side make it an even more one-sided victory? Uh-huh, okay. Uh, but yeah. if, it's, if it's a role-playing situation, game balances for the GM. Okay. You just describe what's going on and mm -hmm. you let the GM have game balance or not have game balance. Okay. Some role-playing game masters don't want any of this game balance nonsense. They want interesting things for their characters to kill. Okay. Well, what I found in, in my role-playing experience has been that game balance, game balance that, that's worrisome is not something that the game master controls. It's when one or two characters are more powerful than the rest of the party and the game is becoming boring for them. Ah. And that's something that I think needs to be pushed okay. back on the characters. They say, you know what, I just can't let you do that because the rest of us will be bored. Well, the only reason why the game master should be tempted to do that is if the whole party is made up of characters from the books and some of the characters really are more powerful than others. Mm and that makes it a less workable license in the first place. Yeah. James Bond has been done as a role-playing license, uh -huh. for instance. Well, you know, I'm a Bond fan, and you know, I mean, you know, just Fleming told good stories, but the, the, Bond, the Bond story, because in the novels there, right. was, there was one plot, right. it was real yeah. good, mm -hmm. but there's only one hero in that plot. And other than that, you've got a friendly agent who gets killed early on. Yep. You've got a beautiful girl who gets killed early on. Mm -hmm. You've got a beautiful girl who doesn't get killed because you need her for the credits. Right. And you need M, who stays at home giving orders that will be disobeyed. Right. And you need Q to provide <laughs> the gadgets, both of these last to be played right. by the referee. Mm -hmm. Unless you're going to totally break the paradigm. Right, and how do you play that? Uh, uh, right, yeah. I mean, you know, what are you gonna do? Send Q out into the field? Right. Well, if you have the guts to do that, now you've got an interesting adventure, it's only by the thinnest thread a Bond story uh -huh. anymore. Well, there you go. That's the way to that's the way to oh. play a James Bond game. Oh. Is Bond is played by the GM, <laughs> and everybody else is playing the characters that they know get killed in these movies. <laughs> and trying not to. Yes, that's really what we suggest in the shamefully long delayed GURPS for Cossigan book. Okay. Is that Miles is two potent a character in, right. in stats and personality uh -huh. to be on screen more than the first 10 and the last 10 minutes of the notional movie that, right. that the GM is, is directing and that all of the characters are starring in. Now, uh, you, you, know, you should create characters on the level that he was at the beginning of his career right. and let him give them instructions which they will ignore. <laughs> um, uh, let's get away from the adaptation just a little bit and talk about you know something you said just sparked in my mind. What what's really fascinating about a role playing game, specifically a module, but even the role playing game itself, is that you as the writer, when you're sitting and writing, what you're actually writing is kind of like a play in a lot of ways. You're writing something that then some people you don't know are going to go act out these parts and try and play them through. How do you give those people the experience that they're looking for, that you are the writer? Do you, how much do you focus on story? How much do you just focus on setting? How much do you focus on mechanics when you're writing one of these things? Well, 
you shouldn't have to focus on mechanics much except to write some reasonable stats for whatever okay. system it is. Mm -hmm. Because we assume that our referee is either already familiar with your game mechanics or doesn't care. Right. Either way, you know, fine. Right. Um, by all means, tell the story, but the GM is going to take what you do and run with it far more egregiously than any director ever took Shakespeare and ran. Right. So, you know, just provide signposts and provide lots of color. Mm -hmm. Does it ever bother you that, you know, these brilliant pieces that you would, you're going to put in that sometimes they'll just skip over and not do that section? Um, no. Uh, yeah. It's... You're just providing the toolbox. Well, and if it were only going to be seen by those who wanted to, to follow it completely faithfully, then uh -huh. A, my market would be so small that I'd have to find honest work. <laughs> and B, those few of my fans that I ever met would be very, very boring people, uh, carefully following every word right. that I wrote and never winging it. Uh -huh. So, it, so it, no, they're improv guides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it would just be a book rather than a game. Yeah. So are you more, when you play, are you more into the hack and slash? Are you more into the role playing? Or are you in the ambiance? What, what do you like when you play? Uh, it's been so long since I played an RPG except to try out new material uh -huh. that I really, I really don't know what I'd be like now, and it <laughs> might be fun to find out. <laughs> you know, back in the day, it was about role-playing interspersed with exciting killing stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I would like to be a fly on that one. Yeah. My goodness. Well, so you, I mean... People ask me, do you do I read my own books? And my answer is no. By the time mm. I it comes out, I've already read it twelve times. Mm. I'm tired of it. Um, so is it the same thing? You don't play your own um, your own RPG modules or things? Uh, pretty much. Once I mean, it's you know like Mama Cat. The once the kittens are a couple of weeks old, uh -huh. you know that they, they can go out and be cats now. Okay. Um, the uh, well, I, I don't know if you've ever you know been on stage much, but yeah. the the only. The only type of role-playing I do anymore usually works out like a very early run-through when, when you, know, you might deliver a couple of dozen lines and then everybody stops and says, whoa, let's talk about this. Okay. That's just... Um, slightly different topic, but uh, I, I'm curious to, to know what you think, talking, what, what, what you admire from other game designers and game writers. What's out there right now that you think is good? Whoa, and we've got what's left to plug yeah, other minutes. people's things. We've got what's left of 15 I, minutes. I wow. Okay. Well, let's see. The one thing that I had nothing to do with that I would have loved to work on that immediately springs to mind is paranoia. Okay. Paranoia yeah. is just mm -hmm. brilliant. Um, the, the game that I'm most likely to say, hey, does anybody feel like playing right now mm -hmm. would be Puerto Rico. Okay. Uh, you know, that's right now, and in six months that might be different, yeah. but mm -hmm. Puerto Rico is a really, really nice piece of work. All right. Um, well, what's, what's next for you? What's coming out from Steve Jackson Games in the next year that we, we need to know about? Well, let's see. I suppose the really big thing that I should plug is the board gameized Munchkin, which is oh. called Munchkin Quest. Okay. It's basically Munchkin with lots of added board, boardy gaminess. Okay. And 
about $50 worth, though, let, let it please be worth $50 because we're charging $50 for it, about $50 worth of toy value in terms of die cut linking together rooms and corridors and standy monsters to move around on them and little plastic munchkins and junk. Okay. Have you made it harder to cheat? What? That's the whole point of munchkins. Um, <laughs> harder to cheat. No, there are actually more cheat cards in this set, I think, per capita than there are in... Uh, oh, dear. Very nice. Just Very wear your nice. plus one shirt. All right, Steve, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank this you for really having great. me. Yeah, this has been Writing Excuses. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.